As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. This is Monday night, and we're so glad that you've joined us. Tonight, I'm here with Denise and Maxime, and tonight, we're going to begin a brand new subject that I call the stage of faith. But hey, don't miss those programs because the introductions are all filmed inside the amazing Yusopov Palace in St. Petersburg. The Yusopovs were relatives of the Tsar. They were so rich that there are some people who speculate they might have been richer than the Tsar himself. They had 54 palaces. Wow. They had five palaces just in the city of St. Petersburg. I was wondering, what would you do with five homes in one city? I guess you just kind of rotate from one to the other. But the Yusupov Palace, where we filmed for these programs, it is quite remarkable. Amazing. And the basement of that palace is where Felix Yusupov poisoned Rasputin, and that didn't kill him. Then they shot Rasputin, and that didn't kill him. Amazing story. And Maxime, we've been down into that basement. Every time we go to this basement, I'm having goosebumps because they have these figures where they're standing. like Wax you, figures of wax, Rasputin. And you see Rasputin, and you start like, they, they look so real, but it, it's an amazing place. But, you know, in that palace, there's a stage. There's a theater, an in-home theater. Now, when we talk about in-home theaters today, we talk about a few chairs in your basement with a TV screen. My friends, the Sopafs, they had a whole different idea about a home theater. Wait till you see these introductions. The gold-gilded moldings, a real stage. It's just magnificent. Anyway, this week, the whole teaching is called The Stage of Faith. God has called all of us to do something. And when you obey God, you leave the private world and you step onto a stage. Suddenly, everybody begins to talk about you, and that's what we're going to talk about in our group tonight. But we want you to have the whole study guide. It's free. It's called The Stage of Faith. This will strengthen you. I know it will encourage you. God's given you something to do. You need to do it, and you need to get ready for the fact that people will talk about you. They might ridicule you. They might laugh at you, but that's okay. If you're on the stage, give them the performance of a lifetime. And this series will really encourage you. And it comes with a whole five-part series. You ought to order the whole thing. And if you know anybody that's trying to step out in faith to get an education, you know, there's all kinds of steps of faith. Maybe it's a step of faith to get married or to get a new job. Maybe it's to go into the ministry. This would be such a strength to them. You should order this. And we're offering you my brand new book called Build Your Foundation. Denise, this book is wonderful. The subtitle says, Six Must-Have Beliefs for Constructing an Unshakable Christian Life. It is amazing how many people do not know these six must-have beliefs, and that's why they are so shaken. Somebody recently called me and they said, Rick, we just don't understand. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world or politics. It's just like you're immovable. You're never upset. You never lose your peace. How can you be this way? Well, the answer is there are six must-have beliefs in my life, and it's made my life pretty unshakable. You can have these too, and that's why I wrote this book. So you can get all of this by going online or give us a call, and if you have to leave a message, we'll call you back. And remember that if you need prayer, 
Rick Renner Ministries will pray with you. We will really pray. You can send us an email, give us a call. And the moment we hear from you, we're going to really put our prayers to work for you. But welcome, home group, and welcome, Denise. Oh, thank you, Rick. And home group, welcome. It, we're excited to have another week with you and talking about the stage of faith. You know, if we're, if we're going to do anything for God, somebody's going to be watching, somebody's going to have an opinion, and we got to stay right there and not be moved. Amen. Maxime? I'm so thankful to be here. And friends, I want to tell you, God wants to do something in your life today, not tomorrow, not day after tomorrow. He wants to do something special in your life today through this home group. Amen. And, you know, would you please write comments? I, I read all of the comments. Just this morning I got up, read my Bible, checked my emails, drank my coffee, petted our dogs, and read your comments. It's just a part of my daily event. I always read what you write on social media. Your comments mean so much to us. And some of you are there every single day. I know you by name, and I'm always glad to see that you're there. So give us your comments, how the program is encouraging, or just anything you'd like to say to me and Denise. But guys, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 10, and tonight we're going to begin in verse 32. And when you come to Hebrews 10, verse 32, the writer of Hebrews, okay, let's pause. Who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. We don't know. A lot of people say that the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, but the name of the author is not included. A lot of people believe that um, Apollos wrote Hebrews. Some people even allege that Luke wrote Hebrews. There's one group of people who believe that Priscilla wrote Hebrews. I tend to think that it was written by Apollos because it is a very high-level Greek, somebody who really knows a lot about Jewish history and Jewish theology. And Apollos was from Alexandria. He was trained in Hebrew theology. But some people think it was Paul. But we know that God really wrote it, so it doesn't matter. But let's read this. It says, Call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Look at verse 33. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. But notice in verse 32, he says, call to remembrance. I'm going to read to you from my notes. In Greek, this word means to recollect. So there's something you're supposed to recollect. It is the very Greek word, which means to unbury, to dust off, to resurrect, and to remember. In fact, it's such an interesting word because it is the same identical word for a tomb, a grave, and a monument. It's the same word. And here we find that the believers that are being addressed here, earlier in their life, they had really had a wow moment. When they heard of Jesus, it changed their life. They heard about healing. They heard that God wanted to bless them and prosper their lives, and then they ran into trouble. They lost their homes. They were persecuted. Some of them were physically beaten. They needed to be healed. And now several decades have passed. They've been through so much trouble, and the trouble of life seems to have buried some precious memories. And you know, sometimes life does that. You have those precious moments with Jesus, when God speaks to you and tells you what he wants to do in your life, and you begin with such anticipation and excitement, 
And then life happens. Disappointments happen. Things don't happen when you expect them to happen. And it seems like those precious things just get buried. But there are some things that should never be buried. They need to stand like monuments in our life. What's a monument? A monument is something that is designed to remind you. Every time you see a statue, it reminds you about something. Well, now the writer of Hebrews says, hey, guys, you've allowed some precious things along the way to get buried by the clutter of life. It's time for you to call to remembrance, the Greek word literally, to recollect, unbury, dust off, resurrect, put it up on a pedestal like a monument. Never, never, never forget key things that God has said to you. Don't let them be buried along the way. And if it's all become buried through the clutter of life, then you have to get your spiritual shovel, go back to that grave, and begin to remove the dirt, unbury it, resurrect it, put it back on a pedestal, and remember what God said to you. And notice he says, call to remembrance. It means these memories don't come to you by themselves. You have to make a decision to call to remembrance. I'll give you an example. When Denise and I have been doing some project of faith that's bigger than us, and it seems that it's impossible and it's taking longer than we think, sometimes I have to go back to the beginning and say, all right, what did God say to us in the beginning? This is why Peter wrote and said, you need to make your calling and election sure. You need to really know what God said to you, and you need to be able to go back and get it, resurrect it, look at it, and think about it. But we have to do it on purpose. You have to go there. You have to recollect it. You've got to unbury it and really erect it in your mind where you see it and you think about it. An example is Romans 10, verse 18. It's a verse that God gave you and me in the very beginning. When God said that their voice will go to the ends of the earth, their words to the ends of the world, that's been a pivotal verse in our life. And if we've ever been challenged in our ministry, we go back to that verse, we resurrect it, we look at it again. You cannot forget those key things that God has said to you early in your experience, Denise. Well, I want to talk to you just on a very personal level, your marriage. Sometimes there's so many pressures and difficulties and trials and that come against marriage. And if you're not committed, if you don't remember, I made a covenant before God with my wife, with my husband, that until death do us part through sickness and health, through poverty and wealth, whatever you said, you made a covenant before God. And it's a very powerful thing because we live in a fallen world and neither one of us is perfect. You're not perfect. Your spouse is not perfect. And, and we have the ability to hurt one another and be selfish. and it's a very powerful thing to say, I'm committed to this marriage, and I don't care what happens, I'm committed to this marriage. And it's like a stake that you've got in the ground. And cause, because nowadays, there's so many divorces. People, they get married, but they have a back door open in the back. They, they're already thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we, we will end this. That's not the way to go into marriage. Marriage is holy matrimony, and it's powerful us, like Rick, talk, Rick is talking about. We call to remembrance the covenant that we made with God. 
That's very good. Maxime? Amen. What you're saying is so good because what I do, I write things down. I have an online uh, diary or journal. I journal things down. Every time I pray and every time God says something, when God tells me something, I immediately go to this online diary and I write it down. And those things, like you say, they're like monuments in my life. When I go back, when I open this document, I read what God told me five years ago, ten years ago. I've been doing it for many, many years. And they are like monuments, just like what you're you're saying. And it really strengthens me when I read those things. What are those things that God has said to you that maybe you've allowed the clutter of life to cover? What are they? You need to go back, undig them, resurrect them, put them on a pedestal. Never, never forget the things that God said to you. And this verse says the former days. Call to remembrance the former days. Former in Greek is the word proteron. It really means the early days. And I have found, Denise, that a lot of the things happening in our life today are the things that God said to me in the earliest days of our ministry. Everything doesn't happen immediately. There are many things God will say to you. It's like Habakkuk says, it's for a later time. The time Mm -hmm. is not yet, but the time will come. Mm -hmm. And we are living today in the fulfillment of many things that God spoke to me when I was in my 20s. But notice it says, in which after you were illuminated. It's talking about that moment when God first spoke to you. Wow. The word illuminated in Greek is the word fatidzo. Well, what word do you hear? Photo where you get the word photo. It describes a brilliant flash of light that leaves a permanent and lasting impression. That's what a revelation is. When somebody turns on the light, suddenly you see what you could never see. You see it and you're permanently changed by what you see. It's like when God spoke to me and said, welcome to your new home, the Soviet Union. I was never the same again. It totally changed my life. That was a moment of illumination. You've had those moments. You've had those moments. You've had those moments when God said something to you. Maybe God revealed healing to you. Maybe God revealed the baptism in the Holy Spirit to you. I remember the day that I was driving in the car, listening to a tape by Kenneth E. Hagan, and he was teaching on righteousness. And suddenly I had a fatidzo moment. It was like a brilliant flash of light. It permanently changed me. I was never the same again. I understood I'm not trying to be righteous. I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That transformed my life. That was a moment of illumination. Well, this verse says, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. And here is a really important thing for you to know. The devil hates illuminated people. He hates them because illuminated people change things. They change history. They change churches. They change families. They are so illuminated that they become a conduit of change. And this verse says, a great fight of affliction follows illumination. And I always think about Martin Luther. Here Martin Luther was a Catholic monk just going about his business, struggling in his spiritual life, wanting to know God better. And one day he saw a verse in the Bible. He saw Romans 1, 17, which says the just shall live by faith. Well, that verse seems very simple to us. It doesn't even seem profound. 
But for Martin Luther, who was living in the Dark Ages, when people were paying indulgence taxes to be forgiven of sins so they could go to heaven, and people were trying to pile up their works and earn mercy and forgiveness, he saw that that's not necessary. The just shall live by faith. Seems so simple to us. That was a great illumination. And he went down to his Catholic church and nailed it on the door of his church. And I say that when he drove that nail into that wooden door, it wasn't just driving a nail into a door. With his nail, he was separating human history. The nailing of that nail in that document literally was so powerful that it ended the Dark Ages and started the Protestant Reformation with one word from God. That's the power of illumination. And guess what happened? The traditional church of that time went after him. Political powers tried to conquer him. It threw him into the fight of a life. And that's usually what happens when you get a word from God. The devil's not going to sit by and say, well, look at those illuminated people. He's going to say, I've got to stop that illumination. And so if God's illuminated you about your career, if God's told you that you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to become a huge giver, if God's told you that you're going to move to another part of the world or you're going to get married or you're going to have a bunch of kids, I don't know what God's told you, but you do. The devil will come after it. And that's what this verse says. It's teaching us a principle. After you are illuminated, you endure a great fight of afflictions. Denise? I'm thinking of a precious couple that are, is, they are in our lives and God has blessed them in their business so, 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 so much. But right at the very beginning, when they were really starting to make headway in their business, that was when the biggest attack came. And they really faced the odds. And they had to endure. And they had to endure, but they made it through. And God has richly, richly blessed them beyond their imagination to this day. But they had to endure. They had to endure. And guess what? The word endure in this verse the Greek word hupomene. Listen to what it means. To remain in your spot. See, the devil will try to move you out of your spot. To keep your position. To resolve to maintain the territory you've gained. You've got to decide, hey, this is mine. I'm never going to surrender it. In a military sense, it pictures soldiers ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of opposition. It means to defiantly stick it out regardless of pressures mounted against it. It could be translated, oh, I love this, staying power, hang in their power, the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there, never giving up and refusing to surrender to obstacles and turning down every opportunity to quit. And listen to what the next verse says. The next verse says, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. Well, let's look at that word gazing stock. What in the world does that old King James word mean? Well, the word gazing stock is the Greek word theatrizo. It's where you get the word for the theater. A better translation would be, you were made a theater. You were made a show or you were made a spectacle. It means to observe, to watch, to study, to scrutinize or to bring upon the stage for all to see. 
It pictures spectators sitting in their seats in the theater watching a scenario being played on the stage before them. They're on the edge of their seats waiting for the actors to make a mistake or forget a line so they can scorn them, ridicule them, make fun of them. It means to bring on the stage to scorn, scoff at, shame, sneer at, or to publicly humiliate, to make somebody a spectacle. And here's the deal. When you've never had a word of illumination and God has never told you to do something, nobody will ever talk about you. Nobody will ever talk about you. But the moment you're illuminated, that you're to go to college, you're illuminated, that you're to move to another city, or you're illuminated, that you're to do something that's different from others, suddenly you leave private life and you become public conversation. It's like they've paraded you on the stage. Your declaration of faith causes you to leave the private sector and you step onto the stage. And people, even people that you love, they buy a ticket to the show and they will watch you. And they'll say, well, let's see. All right. He says God spoke to him. She says that God spoke to her. Let's just buy a ticket to the show and see how this thing plays out. And while you would want them to support you, usually they're waiting to see if really you're wrong. Did he really hear? Did she really hear? They buy a ticket to the show and they sit in their seat to watch. Is she going to make it all the way to the end? Is he going to really do what he says God told him to do? Was it really God that spoke? Let's watch and see how this thing is played out. And you say, Brother Rick, how do you know this? Because I've been on the stage many times. Every single time I've said, I believe the Lord has told us to do something, people watch the show. And you know what I decided? Just give them a good performance. If they want to know how faith works, show them how faith works. It's just the way it's, it's, just the way it's going to be anyway. Show them how faith works. Show them what it means to be spiritually stable. If they're watching you, make sure you give them the performance of a lifetime. Denise? Well, <laughs> I, look what they did to Jesus. I mean, he was constantly the religion, and it's a religious spirit that stands by and says, well, let's throw this at them. Well, let's see if they make it through that. Because that's what the Pharisees did to Jesus. They said, well, let's just test him and see what he answers about this question or this situation. And they sat back in their arrogance and their pride and their fear and their envy. And they said, let's just see what he does. And it's a religious, cruel spirit that stands by and says, let's just see what they, they do. Denise, even when Jesus was on the cross, that was the biggest stage of all. Ugh. Jesus was like walking out his faith, doing what the Father asked him to do, and they were all saying, huh, let him call on God. Ah, if, he, if he really was who he says he is, he could call on Elijah to come down. They were assaulting him. There was no stage like the cross. No. But Jesus did not move off of assignment. He stayed on the stage because he had been illuminated. He knew it was his assignment. Maxine? Uh, 
I'm thinking about you and Denise. You are one of the best faith performers that I know. Because, <laughs> Thank you. Because sometimes I get scared when you say, God told me we will do this. I'm like, how is he going to do that? But through the years I learned when you say God told me, God really told you. And you're a great example. So thank you. Well, Maxine, thank you. But that's why, Pe that's why Peter's words are so important, to make your calling and election sure. Of course, that has to do with your salvation. But it's a principle that applies to everything. Before you make a big proclamation, it's really wise to really make sure you're convinced it's right. Don't be one of those people who just all the time run around saying, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. That'll get you into trouble. You need to really be sure the Lord said. Because when you make that declaration, it's going to put you on the stage. May I say something? Like you said, uh, and you're saying it, and we know God told you to move to our country, to be here. Right. And I know so many Americans who were saying, God told me to move to Russia. God told me. And right now they're not in Russia. You're still here. You're still hanging on. So thank you for being here. Well, we're not just hanging on. This is our assignment. Thank you. Thank and so you many people myself. left. So many missionaries left. Actually, I don't, I don't think there's anybody. I mean, you're heroes of faith. You're here. I think we're the only family left. of the. I mean, literally thousands came in the beginning. You're going to, you, you, how did you say it? Let them, uh, let's show good performance. Yeah, give them the, the performance of a lifetime. You're doing it. Thank you, Mayor. That's sweet. Hey, we're out of time, but we want you to provide a performance of the lifetime. If you know that God's told you to do something and you're on the stage, just get used to it. People are going to watch. They may sneer. They may jeer. Some will, some will clap. Some will be so proud of you. But you know what? Regardless of what the crowd does, you know what God's told you to do, and that's what you need to do. But we're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.